So first up today, we have um, Charlie Carroll, who is a Cornwall-based author, who is sitting in the back. Charlie, please, please come up and let me have a word with you. <laughs> Charlie wrote an extraordinary, this is your debut novel, am I right? That's right. Yeah. Yes, yes, The Lip, which is a, um, a kind of blood-curdling tale in some ways about mental illness and recovering from family trauma and indeed recovering from living in Cornwall, which, <laughs> which you, because you, you don't do the Daphne du Maurier thing, you don't cover it in fairy dust. It's very much the real Cornwall. Was that a conscious decision? Yeah, absolutely yeah. it was, yeah. So I think there is, there's, there's an awful lot of narratives about a side of Cornwall which does exist, it is out there, but then there's another side of Cornwall which, which I'm more familiar with, which I felt wasn't represented so frequently in literature, in movies. So, um, yeah, this is kind of my small attempt to redress that balance a little. Well, I can't wait to hear from it. Thank you. The, the stage is yours if right. you want to get up. Thanks very much. Thanks, Patrick. And thank you so much uh, to all of you for coming out and supporting us this morning. So, um, as Patrick said, my name is Charlie Carroll. This is my debut novel, The Lip, which I'm going to be reading from and talking a little about today. So, um, it all started with a name. Uh, going back a really long time, actually, going right back to 2003, I was inundated at the time with loads and loads of junk mail, which I think was maybe one of the first ever examples of completely computer-generated content because it was entirely nonsensical. And the, uh, the sender names of these emails as well, they, uh, they just seem to be these kind of wildly implausible names which have been smashed together by a computer, I think. And one of them I remember was Mother Coconuts. Uh, another, uh, which really stood out for me, was this name Melody Janie, which I just thought was the most gorgeous name in the world. And it must have stuck with me because then, Going very far forward now into 2011, I was, uh, I was walking along the southwest coastal path to generate material for uh, one of my, my non-fiction books. And uh, I've been walking for a few days. I was absolutely knackered, kind of zoning out on automation. And I came around the headland of a part of the north coast called Hell's Mouth, which some of you might know. It's between Gwydion and, um, and Portreath. And if you know it, you'll know it's just a place that is made for drama. And as I came around the corner, I had this very strange vision of a, uh, of a woman standing on the lip of the coast, staring out to sea. And she had this long, dark hair and uh, a flowing dress and bare feet. And most crucially, she was totally alone. And I remember thinking then, ah, well, that's, that's Melody Janey, that is. And at that point, I'd been very, very keen to write a novel, but I had no idea where to start. And then suddenly, in the space of a few minutes, I had this character, and as well, I had a setting, Hell's Mouth, which in the book, I've changed to a location called Bones Break. And after I got back from that walk, I just did a, a short kind of creative writing exercise, imagining I was this woman that I had pictured living in this place, and imagining I was kind of a, uh, a custodian or a guardian of this stretch of coastline. And that became the first chapter of this book, which is what I'm going to read to you now. <clears throat> this is all I have. Few ever get to see it as I do now, bathed by the rising sun behind, immaculate in this crisp morning air. There are no silhouettes in these conditions, only long shadows. The clarity is resounding. My land, my world, can be seen and absorbed in one long swoop. There is no better place. It starts from the coast path signpost, 
The pitted wooden needle which pierces the horizon hanging clouds rocks steady on the western headland. And then it arcs, a jagged but perfectly curved lip, swinging back from the signpost until it reaches dead center and then out and on again with the same slow bend past the warning sign and towards the eastern headland where the lip crumbles and the coast path has no barrier to separate it from the edge. That toppled into the ocean during last winter's storms. The lip forms the boundary of my land outwards but not downwards, where it continues, including the chop of Atlantic below, the sheer cliff face which rises from it, lonely gull rock a few meters out, standing tall and serene. And then behind, behind the lip, behind me, this field of untamed grass which swells towards the road, ends and then surfaces again on the far side, circling the cafe and streaming towards the woods. All of this is bones break. All of this is mine. I know every inch of it. I know it as intimately as the seagulls. I stand at dead center, my feet teetering on the edge of the lip below the thundering tattoo of waves on rock. Wind catches the tips of my hair, lifting them above my ribs, less force than it takes to knock me down, enough to make me right myself with a step to the left and then another back again. Here on the lip, it is vital to know where my feet are. So I had my character and I had my setting, but the next thing to come was the story. And that took another few years. And in fact, I remember specifically it was 2014 this time. Because those of you who are in Cornwall that year will remember we had some of the most ferocious storms down here that we've had for a long, long time. And now they're referred to as the Valentine's Day storms of 2014. And there was constant footage at the time of these huge crashing swells that came in and they basically rewrote the face of some of the coastline. There were these enormous rock falls and landslides. And at the time I was teaching in Pool Academy. So every day after work, I used to drive down to Port Treath just so I could watch these huge waves coming crashing in over the harbor wall. And that was what got me thinking about the fragility of that particular part of the coastline, but also the fragility of the lives of the people who live there and how those two things can often dovetail. So the storms then, they became very much an integral part of the story and of the novel itself. And so the next bit I'd like to read to you is very much inspired by those storms of 2014. <clears throat> Beyond the lip, the ocean is dark and choppy. I can see the swell lines all the way back to the horizon, building and rising, building and rising, gaining power and momentum in readiness to hurl themselves at bones break. I dart over the road and onto the grass, gaining speed myself, and then I see it, a cleft in the lip, new. I stop. The rumbling is beneath me, coupled with the incessant crash of wave on rock. I must be careful. This is unstable. It could all collapse below me at any moment, the ground beneath my feet. I gingerly step forward. I can feel the ruptures vibrate up into my knees, can feel the fracturing and the splitting, the opening of the veins. Ahead, a crackling cracking like long lightning then the staccato machine gun fire of splintered rock dispersing, striking water after an excruciating drop. My land is breaking. Another crack, another rumble. Something shifts and then settles. The vibrations lay beneath the waves. 
I lower myself onto my hands and knees and crawl forward through the grass towards the lip, towards its fresh wound. From here, the new cleft appears to be meager, forging inland for less than a foot, not as severe as last winter's damage to the eastern headland. It does not reach the coast path, and the wooden barrier which straddles its final inch remains standing. Nothing struck this, nothing carved it out. This portion of the edge has simply crumbled, crumbled under too much pressure. It is ugly, this burst lip. It has changed the face of my beloved Bones Frank. So, I had my character, I had my setting, and I had my story, and I finally sat down and began to write. And the first thing that I was very conscious of as I was writing is that really all I wanted to do is I just wanted to tell a story. One of the first reviews of my very first nonfiction book described it as occasionally hectoring. So I decided I was gonna sort of move away from that more didactic style of my earlier stuff and really just try and tell the story. But it was very important to me that what I was writing about was a realistic depiction of 21st century Cornwall. And so I think if you are writing about that, it's almost impossible for certain themes not to naturally begin to percolate into the text. And they certainly did with me. So themes such as poverty, such as the prevalence of seasonal work, uh, such as the second home culture in Cornwall, they just naturally began to seep into the words. And then when I realized that they were inserting themselves, then I began to realize, well, actually, these are things that I am passionate about. They're things that I care about. They're things, they're things that affect me personally. You know, For example, my wife and I, we've never been able to buy our own home here in Cornwall, whereas probably we would have been able to had we lived somewhere else in the country. And that is, I think, partly due to the second home culture. So once I realized these things were, um, were things that I cared about, things I had a passion for, then I began to consciously embrace them and really try to include them as much as I could within the book. And so the last thing I'm going to read for you now is, uh, is one of those sections which really deals with um, the second home culture within Cornwall. And as I said, the, the central location, this Bones Break, is based upon a real place, Hell's Mouth. Just down the coast from Hell's Mouth is Portreef, and in the book um, I've changed that to a place called Petherick which is kind of your typical Cornish fishing village. But within the novel, there's also a brand new estate, which has been tacked onto the side of Petherick, principally for holiday lets and uh, second homes. And it's in this section that Melody Janey, the, the character, she finds herself wandering the streets of this new estate. On the far side of Petherick, the new estate is virtually empty just three windows weakly lit in stark contrast to the surrounding darkness. It will be like that until next spring. All those empty homes and no locals rich enough to occupy them. I walk along its streets. The tarmac is the same here as anywhere else in Petherick. The smell of the sea and the sound of the shrieking gulls, it is all as familiar as the wood smoke which drifts from the pub's chimney. And yet this estate could not be more alien. It is not merely the stark and imposing buildings, their straight lines and enormous panes of glass, their lifts and air conditioning units, their signs with tariffs and rates and phone numbers and professional photographs of gorgeous people on gorgeous sand. It is the complete absence of life. This estate is empty. There are no children playing in the street, no cars carefully making their way around them, no cats perched on gateposts observing at all. 
Laura used to live in Polmena before she moved to St. Petrock, and she would tell us about the winters when her village would transform into a ghost town. And when she was little, she used to run up and down the streets, pretending she was the last person on earth. That is how it feels here, in this estate, like an abandoned outpost or an old movie set of one, like hibernation. Thank you so much for listening to me this morning. I hope you enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you.